In the book of James, our Lord cautions us that not many people should be teachers. Not many people should be leaders. Because in the day of judgment, teachers and leaders within the church will be held to a much stricter standard. We're also told in 2 Peter 2 that there will be false teachers and leaders among us who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. And as we found in the scripture passage that we studied in last week's message, the Lord Jesus was and he is very concerned about the trustworthiness of all those who would be leaders and who would be teachers within our churches. And as we noted then, his words about those men of his day and their leadership, they were not words of praise. They were not words of of approval, but they were criticisms, very strong criticisms, warnings. And we'll study about those again today in this passage. Listen to these words that are given to us here in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 42. And this is a lengthy reading, so listen to what the Lord Jesus had to say. He says, Woe to you, Pharisees. These were the leaders of the church in that day. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herb, but you pass by justice and you pass by the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. And woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you're like graves which are not seen, and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. Then one of the lawyers answered and said to him, Teacher, by saying these things, you reproach us. And he said, Woe to you also, lawyers, for you load men down with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers." Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and you have built their tombs. Therefore, the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets, and I will send them apostles. And some of them they will kill, and they will persecute that the blood of the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the temple. Yea, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who you were leading, you hindered their entering in also. And as he said these things, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently and to cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him and seeking to catch him in something that he might say, that they might accuse him. Folks, when the Lord Jesus came to us in the flesh, he came for a very, very special purpose. His mission was a mission of mercy. He came to seek and to save those who were lost. And we need to remember that that was his purpose. A favorite verse in these scriptures that we quote often is John 3.16. And it describes his reason for coming. In that verse we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. 
And then the very next verse, John 5, 17, tells us that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now from those words and other words like them, we can know that even though these scribes and Pharisees that Jesus was addressing here with these words, they were thoroughly corrupt, yes, and perhaps even reprobate. As he pronounced those woes against them, his words were not words of condemnation, but rather his words were to warn them and to even reclaim some of their souls from eternal condemnation. And his words were also not as that lawyer accused him there in verse 45, where he said, Teacher, by these sayings you reproach us. Now, yes, if that had been you or me saying these words, it would be one of our usual rants. But for the Lord Jesus, his words were never just some senseless rant. No, Jesus genuinely loved these men with a love that's far greater far greater than anything we can imagine. And yes, sadly, at the end of days, on that great and terrible day of judgment, condemnation will surely come, most likely to some of these same men, perhaps all of them, as it will come also to all who reject the Lord Jesus. But until that day, and though Jesus' words here may not exactly fit our version of a call to repentance, His words truly were intended for that divine purpose. All these words that I just read to us were words of reproof and rebuke so that these men might turn and repent. Now, but sadly, within his words, and especially within this word that he uses most, woe, the word woe, we can detect a sense of deep regret. And that's because Jesus already knew the hearts and even the very thoughts of those men. And he knew that most of those men would probably ultimately refuse to repent. But listen, as the divine gatekeeper for all mankind, the watchman over all of men's souls, Jesus knew that it was his calling to warn those men, to warn them of their sins and of the impending doom that would come to them if they refused to turn from their sinful ways. Jesus had spoken those very words through the mouth of the prophet Ezekiel several hundred years earlier. He was holding Ezekiel accountable to warn the men of his day. And now here, Jesus was holding these Pharisees accountable in their day. And especially, he was holding himself accountable. Listen to these words that were given through the prophet Ezekiel hundreds of years before the Lord Jesus came. This is God speaking to Ezekiel. He said, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from their wicked ways to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require of your hands. But if you warn that wicked man, and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall surely die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your own soul. Folks, that's a strong warning. Jesus was not exempt from his own law. 
And even with the full knowledge that many of these scribes and Pharisees that he was talking to that day would not listen and they would not repent, he was still faithful to fulfill his responsibility as the watchman to warn them. But also, listen, you and I need to clearly understand that these words are being spoken to us, to you and to me, to warn us, to reprove us and to rebuke us and to call us to repentance. But also, and very importantly, to make us to know that we also must be watchmen, just like Ezekiel. Watchmen who will and who must warn others of the impending judgment to come. Do you know of anyone today that needs to be warned of the judgment to come? The Lord Jesus was being the faithful watchman and he was warning them so that none of those men that day would have any excuse for not knowing. And he was laying out the rules. And those rules, if not followed, would surely on that day of judgment, they would become a formal indictment of their souls. And they would be accountable. Now here, as Jesus did on so many other occasions, he clearly explained to these religious leaders that although they were keeping the tiniest details of the law, the ceremonies and the customs and the traditions, they were still missing out on the real intent of what God's heart was for those men and for the ones that they were sent to pastor. God's intent was that those scribes and those Pharisees would do justly and they would love mercy and they would walk humbly before their God. But they were missing out on so much of what God intended. They were missing out on that first and greatest commandment of loving the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They were also missing out on the second part of that commandment, and that is to love the people that they were called to pastor. Unfortunately, these men were little more than whitewashed tombs, and Jesus told them that. They were clean on the outside, but they were dead on the inside. Dead on the inside keeping the tiniest detail of the law and the customs, but they were forgetting justice and they were forgetting the love of God. But why and how could these men have gotten so off course, both in their own direction and in the direction of the leading of the sheep that they were called to pastor? Folks, the fault lies within the same pitfalls that beset you and me today. The failure begins within our own souls. We don't have an understanding of our responsibility back to God for this great salvation that He's given to us. And then along with that, the world, the flesh, and the devil, they're always moving us in wrong directions. In our own souls, there seems to be this implanted great lie. The lie that tells us that we must surely have to do something, do things, even do lots of things in order to save our own souls. Great efforts on our part by which we earn God's approval and in the process earn our own salvation. This came strongly to me this past week when a lifelong Christian asked me this very question. He said, is there anything that I must do before I can have salvation? That man had been in church most of his life. I had the opportunity to explain this, these scriptures to him. Folks, these scriptures 
clearly tell us that that sort of belief is not true. That we don't earn our salvation. But we still fall victim to that lie. Unfortunately for those Jews that the Lord Jesus was speaking to then, and it is still true today, foundational within the Jewish faith is the need for works for them to be saved. We can see from the warning that's given by the Lord Jesus how that great lie had manifested itself within those scribes and those Pharisees. They had this incessant need to do things, tithing on everything, even on the cooking herbs and on the medicinal spices, the mint and the rue and the herbs. Unfortunately, misguided beliefs and customs seem to win favor within our minds. Why? Why is that so? It's because, again, it simply seems logical. It seems logical that we should have to do something to earn God's favor. But listen, even worse than that, because they, these scribes and these Pharisees, were in authority over the people under their care, they could and they did also demand those very same foolish customs of the people that they pastored, leading them down the same wrong path that they themselves were on. That's why it's so important that I preach doctrine that comes straight from these scriptures and not my own opinion. Again, I'm reminded of that man who asked me that question this past week about what one thing would he have to do to be saved. Through the unseen, subtle ways of the evil one, men and women are influenced to take otherwise good and perfect measures of God's law and grace and carry them out to some corrupt extreme. Those influences are seen here in these scriptures in the response that these scribes and these Pharisees had to the Lord Jesus. Jesus clearly warned them about it, about how they were trying so hard and going to such extremes. On one occasion, Jesus told them that they were being influenced by their father, the devil. But we, you and I, must be clearly warned. It truly is no different for us in our day. Those same influences are taking place every moment within many of our religious leaders. So many of our religious leaders of today, they focus on matters of health and wealth and prosperity, leading us astray. What was Satan's favorite weapon to influence and to lead, to guide and to manipulate the corruption that was taking place within these scribes and these Pharisees? His favorite weapon is the one that corrupted even him. It's the same basic sin that Satan then turned and used on Adam and Eve. And it's the same basic sin that Satan uses to enslave most all of us. It was and it is pride. Ego. Our ego. Verse 43. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplace. Ego. Pride. Those scribes and those Pharisees, they really loved significance according to the Lord Jesus. So do we. So do you and I. We enjoy being recognized and held in high esteem. But we need to beware as we bask in whatever significance we receive that there are pitfalls at every turn. As Jesus warned these scribes and these Pharisees, their pride would lead them 
into other sins. In particular, the sin of hypocrisy. Those Pharisees, they believed that they could live this double standard of belief that they could say to themselves, I'm thinking and doing right things, but you're not. And I'll not permit you to have the liberties that I have of pronouncing myself innocent. While I might live this double standard as a Pharisee, you are not allowed to live that way. You're going to be guilty and I'm going to prove you guilty by every jot and tittle of the law. Folks, that might not sound common to you and me, but we do it every day. We watch something take place on the news and we immediately decide how wrong they are. And you know what that's saying? That's saying how right we are. We're so right, we know the difference. And we don't do those things. And even if we do, it's just some mistake we made and so therefore it's okay. But we're no different than these scribes and Pharisees. We judge people every day. Verse 44, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you're like graves which are not seen, and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. Folks, do we not know, can we not understand that we are ever and always a witness? We're being a witness before everyone that we know, before our family members. They're watching us. Our friends, they're watching us. They know more about what we're like than we do. Because we fool ourselves into thinking, as these Pharisees do, that we are always right. Many of those dear ones, they trust us. And they'll follow our guidance. And they'll follow our witness. So the question, do we perhaps unknowingly do as these scribes were doing and misguide them with the things that we may be doing or may not be doing? Verse 52, Woe to you, lawyers! For you have taken away the key of knowledge. We don't tell them what the scriptures are saying. We tell them our opinions. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourself and you hindered those who were entering in. You kept them from it by your words and by your behaviors. Folks, listen. Just as Jesus is warning these scribes and the Pharisees, if our direction is the wrong direction that we're going. Truly, woe be unto us if we then turn and lead some of God's little ones astray with us. He tells us there in the scriptures that it'd be better if a millstone were tied around our neck and we were thrown into the deepest sea. Jesus was saying that these religious leaders were being as unmarked graves that made others unclean by their teachings and by their behaviors. What did he mean by that? Under that Old Testament law, a person who touched a grave became unclean. Sometimes a body might be buried in an unmarked grave, causing an unwary traveler to become unclean by walking over it. And like those unmarked graves hidden there in the field, these Pharisees, they corrupted anyone who would come near to them and would follow after their teaching and after their witness. And so the question is, do you, do I do that? Are we as those unmarked graves in our behaviors, in some of the beliefs that we teach to other people? Folks, I have to conclude that yes, we do exactly as they did. Now, why would I say that? 
It's because I only have to take a quick look at some of the beliefs, the habits, and the behaviors that I have passed along to some of my own loved ones to see it. That yes, perhaps unknowingly, yes, but still the same, I've led them astray by things that I've said, but so often, so importantly, by things I didn't say when I should have. I let them go ahead and walk on a cross, those unmarked graves. Unfortunately, I can sometimes hear my words from days gone by being respoken to me. I'm immediately convicted of my sinful misguidance of those dear ones. And so, yes, yes, I know that I am a wretch. And I'm a hypocrite, just as the Lord Jesus was declaring here. I've thought that I knew the right thing to think and to say and to do most all my life. But I didn't. And folks, I do repent of that wretched sinfulness. I don't want to be as this lawyer here in verse 45 who insisted on defending himself or the rest of those Pharisees that instead of just defending, they attacked the Lord Jesus. I've had no defense. Neither of you. None of us has a defense when we're wrong. We're all guilty. And to some degree, we are being, each of us are being like those unmarked graves whenever we offer our opinion. And that that opinion doesn't come from these scriptures, but it comes from our own ego. We contaminate them. But folks, listen, I don't want to be that way anymore. And I know that you don't want to be that way anymore. But what do we do? Where do we begin? We begin by dealing with the basic problem that the Lord Jesus was speaking about here. First of all, it's our ego. Your ego. My ego. Our pride. Pride is overcome by one thing and one thing only. And that is humility. Humility. The only true source of humility then that we can go to is the Lord Jesus. The Spirit and the Person of the Lord Jesus. As we know from the precious words that are given to us in John chapter 15, Jesus is this vine in which you and I are the branches. And as his branches, you and I are to always be bearing good and righteous fruit for others to see and to enjoy. And you and I need to diligently seek to allow Jesus to live and to abide within our souls. That whole chapter of John 15 concerns itself with His abiding within us. And we need to let Him abide within our souls. And as we would yield ourselves to Him, His fruit of humility will then start to come to the surface within our lives. And it'll become our normal behavior. Isn't that a precious hope? A precious thought that his humility would become our normal behavior. Instead of us always knowing what's right for ourselves, but especially for other people, which is hypocrisy, we'll begin to show as our normal behavior the humility of Christ. That's his message, folks, for you and me in these scriptures. That in these scribes and these Pharisees, you and I need to be willing to see ourselves and our own sinful attitudes and behaviors within the mirror of God's Word and take warning, this same warning from the Lord Jesus. We need to humble ourselves, take a real evaluation 
that gives no defense. No defense. And we need to yield ourselves completely to Christ. And if we'll do that, then he'll not only change our lives, he'll begin to change other people's lives through us. Those dear ones that we love so much, that we wish would change. If they can see the humility of Christ in us, that can help them to change. Praise the Lord for that. Let me read these words from Matthew 11, and we'll close. He tells us about humility. He says, come to me, all you who labor and you are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. If you'll take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, then you'll find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Oh, dear Father, we confess that we've confused ourselves into thinking that we're usually most always right about matters. And that most everybody else is to some degree wrong. Help us with our hypocrisy. Give us your humility, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.